Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sage Care, a podcast where I'll take you on my own personal journey of healing, growth, acceptance, trauma, resilience, change, oppression, resistance, childhood trauma, suppression, shame, stigmas, mental health, PTSD, first responders, lack of voice, gaslit by media, gaslit by employer, suicide, lack of accountability, meditation, how the medical system deals with PTSD and chronic pain, shame, colonization, parenting, teens, the criminal justice system, holistic, spirituality, intergenerational trauma, anxiety, depression, emotions and feelings, disconnected, lost soul, homelessness, and this is just to name a few. I'm your host and creator, Carolyn Royer. Music composed and played by Alexi Brunette Royer. Breathe new life into flow. Just a little parental advisory caution before starting this episode. The contents of this podcast may not be appropriate for all ages, so please review the contents prior to sharing with uh, your children or teenagers. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sage Care, a podcast where I take you on a journey of healing, growing, self-acceptance, and a whole lot of exploration. Welcome to my first official podcast, Episode 1, Shedding light on feelings and emotions. So, all right, before I even get started, I'm going to come clean right now that it has taken me over a year, probably closer to a year and a half, to gather enough courage to get this podcast started. I kept telling myself things like, I'm blocked. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm too busy. The dog needs out again. I'm too tired. I'm in too much pain today. Nobody's going to want to hear what I have to say anyway. If you can think of an excuse, I probably thought it and or said it to myself out loud. I've been gaslighting myself 101 for the past year and a half, maybe even longer. So then when I finally did gather enough courage to start, my decision to start my first episode with feelings and emotions had me stuck funny. Haha. A social worker being stuck on talking about feelings and emotions. And to be quite honest, I don't think I'm the only social worker out there with this dilemma. So then I started to panic. What would I do? Like, why would I do that? Why would I purposely choose to address feelings and emotions in my first podcast? So then my logical brain kicked in. Of course, I'm going to start with feelings and emotions. 
it's logical. It's logical if I'm going to be addressing issues and topics like suicide and mental health and depression, stigmas, racism, anxiety, sexism, violence, poverty, substance abuse, how people are thinking, our thoughts, how people are coping, and even how people are not coping. Would it only make sense to understand what feelings and emotions are and what their purpose are? Because whether we want to hear it or whether we want to acknowledge it or not, all these topics involve feelings and emotions and how we're conditioned to deal with them. Or maybe I should say run and hide from them, ignore them, or maybe just suppress them. If we understood that feelings and emotions have a purpose, would it not be easier to navigate our own emotions? Which in turn would help us navigate our lives with a little bit more ease. For some of us, myself included, and the countless individuals that I spoke to over the years, we just don't understand feelings and emotions. And what I mean by we just don't understand them is this we don't know them. If anything at all, we actually fear them. So what we end up doing is we suppress them. We bury them down deep because that's what we were taught, right? So I want to talk about the myths and the fears and the untruths that we've been told or conditioned about feelings and emotions. And by ignoring them and pushing them away, what we are doing without even realizing it is the complete opposite. So rather than pushing our feelings and emotions away, we are actually holding on to them and we're storing them within our body until there is what I call an eruption, an overflow, or a disconnect, or eventually all three. And we observe this overflow through the increase of physical pain that people experience from sucking it up or dealing with anxiety or after experiencing trauma. We observe the eruption through the explosive behaviors or the angry uh, outbursts. We observe the disconnect by the lack of empathy or just apathy towards those who are suffering. I want to demonstrate that once we understand what feelings and emotions are and what they represent, that it allows us to deal with the emotion head on when it's happening in the moment and to follow through a process of just letting it go and realizing where that feel feeling originated from. By telling people how they quote-unquote should feel or what they are quote-unquote allowed to feel and what they are not allowed to feel based on our own beliefs, our own values, and our own perspective or point of view can and will turn into self-destructive feelings, behavior towards oneself and then towards others. So then we become, we trap ourselves in our own emotional prison. And no, we don't know how to get out of it because we've been taught to suck it up, not let it go. Because letting go would mean creating a safe space that allows others to speak their truth. But nobody wants to hear the truth because the truth makes them quote unquote feel bad or quote unquote feel uncomfortable 
and we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, so we store the feelings and the emotions within our body. Sucking it up has no purpose and no use to you or to those around you. Personally, I actually believe it's important to pay attention to those who are actually telling you to suck it up. What's their purpose? Why do they want you to suck up whatever they are throwing at you? To justify their comments? To justify their behavior or their actions? To me, suck it up translates to I don't want to hear about it because feelings might make me feel bad and I don't want me to feel bad. <clears throat> really, the only use for sucking it up is to allow people to continue with their hurtful behavior without any accountability. This is what I call gaslighting behavior, telling you that you can say whatever so an individual can say whatever they want to you and manipulate you into believing that you're the problem, not their actions and not their words. I have the right to say whatever I want, regardless of how it impacts people or individuals. So after all these years of being told to suck it up, Myself, I put all my energy into my intellectual knowledge and my physical health, to which I believe by, um, I would be put. So my belief was that if the more educated I became, the more I would be at par with regular society. That's what I believed. I created this belief when I was young. It was a false belief, but that's what I believed. So I put all my energy into knowledge and sucking it up because you can't get anywhere if you're emotional and into my physical health. And my physical health was about staying healthy. So I believe that feelings and emotions are actually misunderstood and that we've been conditioned to avoid them, to minimize them, and then fear them. Why? Well, I don't know about you, but I know for myself, feelings and emotions make you weak. And that's something that I would observe in my family home and as well um, in school because I was an emotional child. Um, it didn't take much to make me cry and I got made fun of for it. You know, you're a big crybaby, gros bébé lala. So apparently feelings and emotions make you weak. So I learned very young you don't cry because if you cry, you get made fun of or you get yelled at. But if we knew what the purpose of feelings and emotions are, so we're conditioned to believe that feelings and emotions make us weak. But if we knew what their purpose was, because emotions, they do have a purpose. And if we understood that they have a job to do, and by pushing them back, by avoiding them, by denying them, they just will come back tenfold until they literally take you down to your knees. And that's where I was last year. So here I was stuck before I even started my first episode because now I realize just how little I knew about feelings and emotions. Because even though I can talk to other people about their feelings and their emotions, 
I had no idea where to start with mine. I had fed into this false narrative, this false belief, where I told myself for years, someone like you doesn't make it this far. And I had the proof to show people as well. Someone like me, someone from my background doesn't make it this far. And research supports that. I'm not good enough. And when people do find out where I come from, they will act differently towards me. Then they leave. Because they always do. So I find that we put so much emphasis, and in turn I did as well, put so much emphasis on our intellect, how smart we are. The smarter we are, the better job we'll have, the more respected we'll be, the more accomplished we'll be. And our physical health, the healthier you are, the better quality of life you'll have and the longer you project to live. But what about our emotional health? Are they not important? We complain and we hear it generation after generation after generation. We complain about how the younger generation is not able to cope. People are not coping. But when we look, if you actually take a good look, who are the ones who are not able to cope? The ones we keep telling to suck it up? And how much damage has that caused? Personally, I've always hated talking about feelings and emotions because they always made me feel gross. They made me feel bad about myself. They made me feel insufficient, guilty, always not being enough. So one of the several observations that I made over the years, including with myself, is our inability to communicate how we feel. I struggled with it for years. Our inability to communicate how we feel leads us to frustration, confusion, sadness, anger, resentment. And I saw the results of that over and over and over again daily as a probation officer. So then you see that sadness turns into anger, which we then project that anger. We project it onto our children, on our loved ones, and the ones closest to us. When they cry, we don't know how to address it except how we were taught. So then that fear sets in because we know we don't because we know we don't know how to address them. So we shut them down or we're trying to shut down the emotions because we don't know what they are, so we suck it up and we tell those around us to do the same. So why do we have such a difficult time communicating our feelings? One is because we don't know them. It becomes difficult to recognize or to identify something that you have been told or conditioned to not talk about because it makes others feel uncomfortable. If we don't understand their purpose, if we don't understand their role, then we fear them. Then we end up suppressing them, burying them down deep because that's what most of us have been taught. We've been taught too. Suck it up. It's not a big deal. Get over it. It's your job. You get paid for it. You knew what you were getting into. We already paid them money for the abuse. What's their problem? Get over it. It happened years ago. 
and these are gaslighting comments. So feelings make us feel uncomfortable. They make us feel uncomfortable right within our body. Our body aches, it heats, it chills. We have aches in our stomach, we have nausea, we have body stif stiffness or we freeze because we're so unsure of what to do or what is expected of us. And then what happens, you just wanna do the right thing because doing something wrong means that you have to then fix something. So you suck it up, it's not a big deal. And again, other people don't have a problem with it. Why do you? Gaslighting comments. And we say the same thing to our, ourselves when we encounter a feeling that makes us feel uncomfortable and others comment that it's not a big deal. We internalize it and try to, basically we try to frantically figure out what's wrong and how we fix it and why we feel the way we feel. Because then we start questioning, why do I feel this way? Because others are telling us that we should not feel the way I'm currently feeling, but I do. So what's wrong with me? So why is that? Why is it wrong? Why, what is wrong with me that I feel that way and others don't? Another reason why we have such a difficult time communicating our feelings and emotions, well, it's just because we're just, we have limited knowledge on what feelings and emotions actually are. The ones that we are familiar with, we were introduced during our formative years. And just to explain what formative years is, it's our early stages of childhood between the ages of 0 to 18 of a child's life where they learn the most quickly than any other time in their life. So it's a huge developmental uh, rapid developmental stages for, for children. So it's rapid in the cognitive, social, emotional, and physical development. And just to expand on that a little bit more, um, for those who are parents or who are planning on being parents or who work in the medical field or the educational system, <clears throat> the one thing that we were taught was the importance of, for infants, is to have a healthy start in life. You know, healthy babies equals healthy children, and healthy children become healthy adults. So when you hear me talking about formative years, what I'm talking about is the first eight years of a child's life, what they've been exposed to. And what working in child welfare has taught me, along with um, uh, my social work degree, is that there have been a lot of, the one thing that I was exposed to was a lot of studies and research in child development. And even though they may not all come with the same results, uh, the one thing that they are really consistent on is that a healthy early start in proper nutrition and learning and nurturing equates to a more balanced adult, adult life, right, theoretically, and actually practically as well. Research indicates that that is true. We have put a lot, we have put so much emphasis on the importance of a healthy physical and intellectual start for children, and it's only recently that we're realizing that we're not putting as much on the emotional health of children and how the first eight years of a child's life becomes the foundation of their emotional intelligence and that is dependent on what they have been exposed to or taught about feelings and emotions in their early years and they carry that on with them into adulthood and so later on throughout the um, throughout my podcast I will have another episode 
that where we explore early years in children, so early childhood development, um, and we'll go into that in more in depth. But just for this particular episode, I just wanted to explain what I meant when I was talking about formative years and the importance between zero and eight years of age. Just a little added side note here. So what I learned through my own studies and research and working frontline and advocating and trying to move an already reinforced brick wall erected by our employers and our society. And to clarify, I'm not just talking about research and studies, but my own personal experience in overcoming trauma in my own personal life. Everything I learned, I applied, maybe not well at the time, but I'd always pair up my learning knowledge with my own personal experience. So exploring your emotional environment from the age of zero to eight would likely be a good starting point to start exploring your own emotional intelligence and knowledge. And I believe that once we understand the purpose, so once we understand what the purpose of feelings and emotions are and where they originate from, this allows us then not to fear them. Because when you understand them, there's no longer a fear attached. Because you understand their purpose. And once you understand what their purpose are, and that you are the one who is in control of your emotions, it allows you a lot more emotional freedom. So I believe that it's important to define and clarify what feelings and emotions are, as well as what their purpose is. So here I've been struggling with this crippling fear of starting my podcast and it has become a huge roadblock for me being able to move forward. Fear of exposing myself, fear of showing vulnerability, fear of shame if I fail. Because that would just feed in again to the false narrative that I've been telling myself for years that someone like me doesn't make it this far. I'm not good enough. And when people find out, they will act differently around me. Because they always do. So, then before I started recording, I went back to the drawing board. And I did my own research. And I started examining, like, my own emotional intelligence. And realized just how much emotional intelligence I was uh, lacking. Which brought me back to the expert in fear and shame and vulnerability. That's right. I uh, So I became um, Brene Browned uh, for the next few months. And so now it's about looking at my own emotional intelligence and evaluating where I'm at before I ha- can even record my first episode to deal with my own fears and um, where they were stemming from. So if I want to understand feelings and emotions, I need to define them first right? I need to know what they are. Then I need to find out my own emotional repertoire, or I guess I could say my emotional inventory. Um, what were, so basically what was my emotional environment like from the age of zero to eight? And how is it, and how has it impacted my relationships with family and friends and partners and children? So I'm going to get into my own emotional environment and I'm going to break those down so that I can demonstrate exactly what steps that I have taken to help myself overcome my own emotional fears. So, and then 
<laughs> so of course I was stuck, so to speak, when it came to starting this podcast. Um, so I had to look at my own knowledge and experience with feelings and emotions and go back to my roots. What were the primary emotions that I was exposed to growing up? All right, well, let's get started. Let's have a look, okay? One of the most prominent emotions that I remember as a child is fear. And not just any type of fear, but paralyzing fear. So the fear that of fear of being yelled at, fear of doing something wrong, which means being yelled at again, fear of not doing it right, fear of being seen, fear of being judged because of another individual's behavior. Fear became really a leading emotion for me because of my exposure to not only domestic violence, but misogynistic attitudes in the family home. A lot of drinking, a lot of yelling, a lot of unpredictability, and women only had one role. And the fear continued to be an emotion that I worked with, that I continue to work with actually on a daily basis because of how deeply rooted fear controlled my life and I was allowing it to control, to continue to control my life because I didn't know how to gra uh, get a grasp on it. So fear for me began, I would say around, th that I could remember, two and a half, three years old. And at this point, um, there was a domestic situation happening in our family home. And as I walked out of the bedroom, um, there was an object that came flying and just about um, missed my head. Um, and the scenario was, um, there was intoxication and my dad had a temper tantrum and just started throwing things and tearing things off the wall. That had a tremendous, tremendous impact on me um, where fear became really pronounced, where I would freeze with fear, um, which is also known as fawning, like a deer in the headlights, um, at where you're not sure what your next move is going to be. And so for me, alcohol created an unpredictable environment as I grew up. And I carried that with me even into adulthood. So for me, alcohol was about um, created unpredictability in people and no one was excluded from that. And then if you added a little anger into that, now we have fear. And there's definitely a lot more going on with this scenario um, that I'm using as an example. Um, but it was just to introduce what fear looked like for me as an introduction into my life. Another emotion that I was exposed to in my early years was sadness. So being exposed, um, being a witness, being a confidant, being an emotional support for a parent while they're really upset and trying to support them um, um, became an, an emotional strain. And so dealing with a lot of that sadness in the home. And on top of that, dealing with oppression you know, so for me, sadness and oppression, they kind of go hand in hand. Like the, I, um, I don't know if I can separate the two, um, observing extreme sadness, yet not being allowed to be sad or to cry because then you would, you would get yelled at and there's something wrong with you for crying. If you start crying, then all of a sudden it's what's wrong with you. Uh, why are you making such a big deal out of things? The situation isn't a big deal. Um, <clears throat> And eventually what happens is when that, when that's minimized, that sadness just turns into anger because you realize very early on that the rules are different depending on who is setting the rules and who must follow them. So then that anger just starts to set in. 
And then you have the confusion. For me, confusion um, started to set in because people can't be trusted. People aren't consistent. And then worry, being worried about my mom, how she was being treated and how she was being talked to, controlled, degraded, worried about money, food, people finding out just how messed up my family was. And then I looked at anger. Anger was another one that I was exposed to. Um, outbursts, temper tantrums, control, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, the difference if you're a male or a female, witnessing anger, watching how one parent had to ask permission to do anything. So witnessing the anger, but, and this is a big but, not being allowed to express it. Just shut up. Suck it up. And anxious, anxiety, that was another emotion I was exposed to. Not knowing how to approach a parent or a situation because of their reaction, their reaction so unpredictable, and how that carried on into my adulthood. People are unpredictable, inconsistent, which equals anxiety, which equals not knowing how to react or act, which equals me withdrawing because it's a whole lot easier than trying to figure out what's expected of you. And another one that I was exposed to is shame. Shame of shame and fear kind of go, well, they don't kind of, they do go hand in hand. Um, as an expert in the field, and I'm not talking about myself, I'm referring to um, uh, Ms. Brene Brown, um, and reviewing her information on shame and how that was really... Um, really over really the prominent um uh emotion growing up was the shame and the fear of shame of feeling um the shame of people knowing who my family was and the fear of them finding out last but not least i was also exposed to the emotion of happy but happy with conditions because you never knew if the mood was going to change direction suddenly and get yelled at for something so half the time you didn't know what you were being yelled at for, so you disconnect and associate happiness with conditions. Other people's happiness always come first, with no exception. All right, so, well, no wonder I didn't want to talk about or even go near feelings and emotions. Who would want to with a repertoire or inventory like that? So fear, shame, worry, anger, anxious. Um, there is some happy there. Sadness, oppression, confusion. Wouldn't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. So my early year repertoire of emotions is very limited. And I carried that through my adult life and passed that along to my children. Fear of exposing self, fear of being vulnerable, fear of being judged, fear of the shame that I felt. Feeling exposed when people made comments about me wanting to be happy, initially feeling insulted until I realized, well, of course I'm not happy. I don't know how to be happy. I was never taught or exposed to a whole lot of happiness in my life, except happiness with conditions and making sure that other people's happiness always come before yours. There were only a few rules in our family home when it came to feelings and emotions, and the big one, you don't talk about it, you don't express it. I found that over the years, as I grew older, the more people around me were inconsistent or unpredictable with their rules, 
and how you should feel or how you should behave or just be, the more I found myself withdrawing from people. And it isn't until just recently where I realized just how much energy I was exerting in trying to fit in with what I believed others wanted from me and making sure their emotions and feelings were taken care of first and foremost, regardless of how it made me feel. What I experience is that no matter how much you give of yourself, it will never be enough. The expectation remains, or maybe it's an expectation you put on yourself, that um, you are the one who becomes pliable and others needs uh, to others needs and it doesn't always feel like it's reciprocated and people will keep on taking until there's nothing left of you to give then you feel tossed aside so now i put my social work hat on and i lined all this up so for me this makes complete sense on why i don't want to even approach feelings and emotions for this podcast why would i because in the end i usually always feel bad about something because I associate feelings with the ones from my early years, and they're not very nice emotions. So I always end up with usually feeling bad about something, and it's usually about myself, or not being able to manage my emotions. And why would I? Who would want to deal with all those negative emotions? So now that I talked a little bit about my own struggles in addressing this podcast and getting it started, let's now dive into what are feelings and what are emotions. So let's get into the technical terms for these these little puppies here. So what are feelings? Feelings, if you go into the definition through the Merriam Dictionary, that's what I'm using right now, feelings is an emotional state or a reaction. So a feeling alerts us. It alerts your internal body that something is going on. Just like, like if you were to... Put your hand on, on a hot stove. Your hand automatically jerks away because it feels the hot of the stove, right? And so, ouch, I move my hand away. Our feelings work the same way. The only difference is we ignore the initial warning and keep our feelings on the hot stove, which can then become quite confusing for us when we're trying to figure out what feelings and emotions are coming up. So for feelings, it's, it's the emotional state. It's the reaction. It's like a trigger sense. So it activates. So I guess what you could say is feelings activate. So I guess what you could say then is one of our five senses. So our sight, our sound, our touch, taste, um, and I'm missing one here. Uh, smell will trigger or activate this feeling. I hope that makes sense what I'm saying right now. So the purpose of feelings is to alert us. That's their purpose. To warn us that something is going on. It's that simple. Think of it as an activation. Feelings turn into emotions depending on what our thoughts toward that trigger feeling is. Now let me explain. We'll get into the definition of emotions so that you can understand a little bit more clearly what I'm talking about here. So remember, feelings, it's the activation. Emotions, according to the Merriam Dictionary, emotion is a conscious awareness, a mental reaction, such as anger or fear, which is subjective. Subjective means personal. 
It's a personal experience of strong feelings usually directed towards a specific object or typically accompanied by a physiological and behavioral changes in the body. It's a state of feeling. So let me explain what that means. Feelings, it alerts you. It activates. Now, depending on what you think of that activation, of that feeling, will then prompt into emotions. So I'm triggered. I have a feeling. I'm activated. My thoughts towards that activation, that prompt, turns into an emotion. Example, I'm in a grocery store and a parent is being firm with a child. I hear it. My prompt, my activated, my activation is a loud voice and that feeling of vigilance. Loud voice, oh, I have to, I have to stand on guard. Something's going on. My automatic thoughts on loud voices is danger because that's how I've been conditioned. Now, this is an extreme example, but this is, this is my reaction. So then, as I continue to think about that, oh my God, the child's in danger. See, I, I choose to think that. So now that emotion starts to emote fear for me. Feelings happen as we begin to integrate the emotion, to think about it, to let it soak in. In English, we use the word feel for both physical and emotional sensation. <clears throat> we can say that we physically feel cold or we can also emotionally feel cold. This is a clue of the meaning of feeling, that it's a sense. It's an activation. And then once we get into the emotions, again, emotions are the physical, uh, psychological state, our mental state that is brought on by neurophysiological changes. So we have nervousness, the nervous system is involved, or we have body responses, you know, whether we, we start to sweat or we, we get uh, freezing cold or we start to shake. So emotions have three components to it. They have our thoughts, they have our feelings, and they have the behavior. So what do we usually see? There will be um, a trigger, which I'm going to call an activation. So we have a feel, a feeling activates, which evokes a feeling. That feeling is brought to our thinking. And depending on how we interpret that feeling, behavior, our behavior will reflect that. So we think how we feel. We feel how we think. If you want to change how you feel, bingo, you must change the way you think because only you can control your thinking, which then means if you're the only one who can control your thinking, you are the only one who can change your emotions or control your emotions. Nobody else controls them for you. So think of it this way. Our emotions are on the inside. We feel them on the inside. Nobody can control the inside of you. Only you can. What we can't control is what's on the outside. So why did they decide to do these feelings and emotions? Well, not being able to identify your emotion has had <clears throat> a direct impact on, on our intelligence. And I've seen that over the years with myself. Whenever a certain emotion would uh, uh, activate, or let me rephrase that, 
when there was um, feelings activated for me, it would take me right back to what my initial emotions were. And I was not able to distinguish which ones were which. And because they were so gross and ugly and negative, for me, I just didn't want to deal with them because I didn't know what those fun, joyful, happy emotions felt like. Or I didn't know that I was the one in control of them. So I, I um, one of the books that I dived into was um, uh, Dr. Uh, Mark Brackett um, from, I believe he's from Yale. Anyway, he, he has this one book that I absolutely adore. It's Permission to Feel. And he talks about becoming an emotional scientist with yourself to explore those, those, what I call activations that come up, those triggers that come up and actually following them through to see, you know, what does that feeling mean to me? And is it, is it relevant in the moment right now? And that's something that I want to explore in our next episode is now we're going to dive deep into emotions and feelings and how we, how our thoughts really control how our, how we're feeling. So with that, I hope you enjoyed the first episode and stay tuned for episode two, where we get into what we're going to do with those thoughts that come up and how do we process those emotions and feelings. Cheers, everybody.